This is printed before you in the bulletin, and everything will be projected for you as well. Uh, so if it's comfortable for you now, I would invite you to stand. Gathered in God's house, we worship in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our gathering hymn is Gather Us In. Responsive reading uh, for this morning, which is projected for you. I do the green, you do the white. We are called to be the church. Therefore, let us love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, be devoted to one another, regard one another as more important than yourself, do not speak against one another. Show tolerance for one another. Be kind to one another. Speak truth to one another. Build up one another. Comfort one another. Care for one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And in all of our days. May Jesus Christ be praised. Our hymn of praise when morning gilds the skies. May Jesus Christ be praised. Oh, 
be with you. Let us pray. May Jesus Christ be praised, praised in our worship, in our gathering, in our scattering, in our service. May Jesus Christ be praised. Send now, we pray, your Holy Spirit. Bring us comfort, give us hope, and give us courage. We pray in the name that is above all other names, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. The lesson this morning is from the 61st chapter of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to all the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to whom, or to comfort all who mourn the word of the Lord.
here very early this morning getting ready to, to play. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. It's warm. We're safe. We're together as God's people. We should never take any morning for granted. Uh, we're blessed to be here together. Amen? So we're going to, what's Jesus have to tell us today? Well, the sermon title is Dispelling Conventional Wisdom. Dispelling Conventional Wisdom. So I'm going to read a few statements. You see if they sound familiar to you. Maybe these words have been spoken to you, or maybe these words have been spoken by you. God won't give you more than you can handle. It must have been God's will. God has a plan. This must just be a part of that plan. You reap what you sow. God must have needed him or her in heaven. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where is my help to come? God, are you there? God, do you care? Have you ever heard those words, any of those words before? Have you ever spoken any of those words before? It was three years ago. Three years ago now, we were gathered here for worship, Sunday morning, January 20th. 2020. We were optimistically looking forward to the year ahead. Our church council was embarking on a new five-year plan. They were trying to envision what the future of the congregation would look like. Meanwhile, on that day in Snohomish County, the first case of COVID-19 in the United States was identified. A few weeks later, our future would look not quite so clear. And then Trinity Lutheran Church would do the unimaginable. We would cancel a potluck. <laughs> that was the first thing to happen. But then soon the entire campus would be closed as we canceled in-person church, and we wandered into the wilderness learning to produce a TV show called Trinity Lutheran Church Worship that we might beam from here into your homes to keep this community together. So I wonder, was, was this all a part of God's plan, destined to happen? As if God said, you know what, I, I think maybe a little, a little pandemic might do them some good. Was this a test? As if God said, let's see how they respond to this one. Can their community hold together? Our lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, but also from the Gospel of Luke. Both Gospel writers recall the first sermon of Jesus. Now, the sermon is remembered as the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard of it. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus taught from a mountain, and in Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Not a Boeing plane. No, think the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. It was Jesus' first recorded sermon. It was delivered, by all accounts, in the Galilee, along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So you see, Jesus did not preach a sermon in a church. He did not preach a sermon in a synagogue. Truth be told, though, there were, there were no mountains, no mountains by the Sea of Galilee. So if Jesus was teaching from a high place, then he was simply on the hillside that rose gently from the shore. It was his first recorded sermon. 
And if we are to make heads or tails of it this morning, we're going to need to travel back in time, 2,000 years, to understand the context for this sermon of Jesus. Context. Now, in order to do that, we're going to look at the setting. That would be the place where it took place. We're also going to look at the people that he addressed. Understanding the audience is critical. Who was Jesus talking to and why were they present? that day. So we have place and we have people. And finally, we will look at the conventional wisdom. Only then we will have this teaching, a teaching that we can understand that will help us to face another day in a broken world. So let's get started. We're going to start with place. In Luke's rendering of this sermon, it's not called the Sermon on the Mount. As I said, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. So what's that about? Luke says this, Jesus came down and stood on a level place. What strikes you about this location? Probably nothing. Removed from the text that was written in Greek 2,000 years later, many of the nuances of the Bible are lost in translation. The culture is not familiar to us, and that makes it difficult to see what is right there before our eyes. As I said, the Sermon on the Mount had a different setting. Jesus standing in a higher place, a higher place, a little closer to heaven, perhaps. You see, in Jewish lore, mountains were places of revelation. The Bible recounts numerous mountaintop experiences, like that of Moses on Mount Sinai, or Elijah on Mount Carmel, or Jesus even on Mount Tabor. But Luke framed the sermon differently. He came down. Jesus came down and stood among the people on a level place. What is that? That's code language. I wouldn't expect you to understand it. It's nearly impossible for us to comprehend this saying removed from ancient context. So if you're ready, here it is. Eight times in the Old Testament, the very same word is used. On a level place, a level place. Unlike a mountaintop where euphoric interactions with God took place, a level place all through the Old Testament was a place of corpses, of disgrace, of suffering, misery, hunger, mourning. Luke says Jesus came down to a level place. And 30 years before he gave this sermon, you may remember that date, it's called Christmas. 30 years before this, this story, what, what happened? Jesus came down. Jesus came down from heaven. And when he did so, coming to this level place we call earth, Bethlehem, he became fragile he became a frail human. He cried. He grieved. He bled. He experienced pain and betrayal. He became one of us. We cannot understand the sermon that will follow without some understanding of the place. A rabbi teaching God's truth from a mountain. A rabbi rubbing shoulders with the dead and dying. That's the place. What about the crowd? What do we know about the crowd in both Matthew and Luke? 
Well, the text says he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. I don't know if that map is now in your head. Probably not. So understand this. Jesus was in the vicinity of the Sea of Galilee. The only city of any consequence there was the Roman town of Tiberias, and Jews were advised to stay clear of Tiberias or any other town populated by unclean foreigners. So what's the translation here of what we just heard? Jesus was in the middle of nowhere. He mentions these cities, but he was 75 miles from Jerusalem. Tyre was 35 miles away. Sidon was 53 miles away. And there were no cars, no public transportation. People had to walk to the middle of nowhere to find Jesus. That means the crowd walked for days. They walked on a level place. They were desperate, many without work and most without any hope. They had heard about a miracle worker and teacher, and so under the hot sun, over time, their paths merged until this mass of broken humanity was gathered around Jesus. It was a desperate cesspool of humanity. The text says, they came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd were trying to touch him. You have that image in your mind? We're living in pandemic times. Imagine for a moment being surrounded by thousands of pathetic people, coughing, bodies devastated by disease, walking corpses, suffering in misery, and all reaching out trying to touch you, trying to touch you, pressing in on you. I don't know if you remember the uh, Michael Jackson uh, video thriller. Might give you some idea of what this looked like. In Matthew, the place was a hillside. God's word coming down from heaven. In Luke, the place was a level place. Jesus, God with us, frail and vulnerable. Different settings, but be very clear. In both these stories, the crowd could be described in the very same way. Level, broken, lost, without hope. So context, the place we know now. The crowd we know. What's next? Conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom 2,000 years ago would say that if you are suffering, you somehow deserve it. Why else would you be suffering? If you were diseased or poor or lonely or lame, then God was obviously punishing you for your sin. What other possible explanation could there be? You may remember the question asked of Jesus in the ninth chapter of John's gospel. They came to him and they said, Jesus, who sinned? Can you tell us who sinned, that this man was born blind? Did he sin in the womb? Or was it his parents that doomed him to live like this? This was conventional wisdom on display. There must have been some sin in there. There must have been some sin. If not, why would he be born blind? And if there was no sin, then I guess we're going to have to blame God for this injustice. And that's not real comfortable. 
The conventional wisdom in Jesus' day was quite simple. The righteous were blessed and the suffering poor were cursed. You get what you deserve. Compassion, charity, empathy all had their place in Judaism, but all too often the self-righteous religious people would pile judgment on top of human tragedy. You see, in their minds, suffering could not be random. It had to be related to sinfulness because there's a certain order there. There's a certain order to this thinking that brings comfort to the faithful. At least until their lives are stricken. In Jewish thought, in the Old Testament, rain and a bountiful harvest meant God was happy, right? Plagues and famine were signs of God's rage. Victory in war was a vindication from God, and defeat in war was seen as a call for the nation to repent. If suffering was random, then all control would be lost, and everyone would have to live in fear. What's this sound like today? Success begins with Jesus. God wants you to be rich. A prosperity gospel. Give Pastor Jim $1, I promise you, you'll get 10 back in the mail. A prosperity gospel. Good news for the rich, for the beautiful and the healthy. Put God first and God will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Follow Jesus and your troubles are gone. I got to tell you, folks, if you want insurance in this world, go to State Farm. Because God does not provide such protection. This conventional wisdom is still with us. This messed up view of God's judgment and self-righteous arrogance is very much alive today. So we put it all together, a level place, a pathetic gathering of visibly broken people, and the ever-present judgment of the self-righteous religious people who treated suffering people as unclean, telling them that God was angry with them. But in this sermon, and by his actions that day, Jesus was dismissing the conventional wisdom of a thousand years. What was Jesus doing? The text says he was healing the sick and casting out demons. Now, wait a minute. Why in the world would he be doing that? Why would Jesus heal the sick if sickness was not random but a punishment from God? If you study the ministry of Jesus, you'll find that those in his path were healed. They were restored. They were forgiven. Their leprosy was gone. So what was going on here? Jesus was alleviating suffering, and in the process, he was dispelling the conventional wisdom. Each time Jesus fed the poor, he was proclaiming that hunger and poverty were not were not a part of God's plan. Not a judgment or prison sentence come down from heaven. And every time Jesus healed the sick and dying, he was proclaiming loudly that it was not God's will that people would suffer. Thousands pressed in on him. He had healed so many. Their bodies were fine now, but, you know, in their minds... In their minds, they could still hear the taunting accusations of the religious people. So it's now time to look a little bit at that sermon from Jesus. 
a sermon that stood in opposition, the conventional wisdom. We're only going to look at three Beatitudes, three Beatitudes from Matthew and Luke. They're nearly identical, but a little different still. We start with Matthew. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke writes this way, blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. A very small difference, right? No, not really. You see, all humans, all of us have times when our spirits are poor, when our spirits are low, do we not? We suffer from depression. We're weighed down with anxiety. We are discouraged. We're up late at night worrying about our children or grandchildren. Seasonal affective disorder leaves us longing for sunny, warmer days. You see, poor in spirit is a rather all-inclusive condition of the human family. The wealthy and the poor and impoverished know what it is to be poor in spirit. Some of us here in the sanctuary today or online, some of us start the morning on a high note. And by afternoon, after doing battle with our workplace or our loved ones, our spirits are poor, deflated, compromised. Luke, on the other hand, wrote, blessed are the poor. This beatitude speaks to a very specific segment of the population. Now, let's be clear. The teaching is not an attempt to put poverty forth as a virtue. Poverty is not a virtue. Poverty in Jesus' day was an inescapable and mostly inherited position. You see, for those in poverty in Jesus' day, there was no way up and there was no way out. The poor were thought to be cursed by society and cursed by God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Most of us here today have endured days or seasons of deflated, depressed spirits, but Luke, his rendering narrows the field considerably. He says, blessed are the poor. That would be those who are actually poor, those who are without food, those who are without shelter, those without clothing or work. The poor, and the poor of spirit, no matter how you read it, the message of the beatitude is consistent. What is it saying? It says the poverty of your mind or the poverty of your bank account is not a curse or a judgment from God. You are blessed. Your poverty may have many causes, and some of those may be of your own making, But most poverty, folks, real poverty, is directly related to systemic injustices, bad luck, bad health, bad timing, bad government, the oppression of the rich, or the greed of the powerful. But never think for a moment. Never think for a moment that the poverty that you experience will put you outside of the love of God. The next beatitude from the hillside goes like this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Luke says, blessed are you who weep, and you will laugh. What is this? This is a promise calling for belief. Promise calling for a belief. This is a word of promise to those who have lost spouses or dear friends or children, and as a consequence, they find any hope hard to come by. You will be comforted, Jesus says. Believe it. You will laugh again. Believe it, Jesus says. 
The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there will be sun. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. Blessed are you. God has compassion for you. Your grief and your mourning is not caused by God, and the utter despair that you are experiencing will not last forever, and it will not separate you from the love of God. And one final beatitude. From the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And from the Sermon on the Plain, blessed are those who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Once again, we see nuanced words. There's a difference between being physically hungry and hungering for a more just, righteous, or fair world. Blessed are the hungry, and blessed are the oppressed, is really what this is saying. Blessed. Jesus said, blessed. Blessed, not cursed. Blessed in their poverty, not cursed by God, but blessed not for their poverty, but in the midst of their poverty. In their poverty, they are still blessed. In their grief, they are still blessed. In their disability, they are still blessed. In their oppression, they are still loved by God. Blessed, meaning not abandoned, but loved, forgiven, and never alone. Even though their life circumstances have led them to walk miles in a desperate need in a procession of broken people. You see what Jesus is doing? He's taking that thousand years of conventional wisdom, he's taking our conventional wisdom, and he's dispelling it. So let's end where we started. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's true. That's absolutely 100% true because God's not giving you anything. God is not the giver of trouble. It must be God's will. God has a plan. This must all be a part of God's plan. Listen to me. Not everything that happens in this world is God's will. In fact, most of what happens is not God's will. God may have a plan for you in your life, but if that plan even exists, I don't know. But, but if it is, what's that plan for? Jesus is very clear. That plan is abundant life, good health, happiness, vitality, and peace. If you think God gave you cancer to teach you a life lesson, think again. If you think God took your child or grandchild to somehow enlighten you, well, good luck trusting that God when it comes time for you to take your final breath. You reap what you sow. This is often true, but sometimes we just have bad luck. The misfortune of being born in a war-torn country, or events that are out of our control, or health that goes sideways, or the sins of others, or natural disaster, and we end up reaping something that's a very bitter harvest. And finally, the big question, God, are you there? God, do you care? The answer is yes, and yes. Jesus came down to a level place. Jesus became one of us. Jesus knows our journey, and we are blessed. Amen? I invite you to stand if it's comfortable, and we'll sing our hymn of the day, Blessed Are They.
may be seated as we lift our hearts to God in prayer. You may be seated. Daryl's going to come forward and lead us in the prayers. Uh, the prayers are going to be projected for you. Uh, Daryl will lead us in the green part of the petition, and we'll respond with the white part of the petition. So we'll be reading responses uh, to these prayers. Let us pray. God, you have called us to count our blessings. Hear now our prayer. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Help us not to be preoccupied with gaining money, goods, and influence at the expense of justice. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice with us as we revel in our blessings and give thanks for your unending love and grace in our lives. Trusting in your promises, we pray. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. you. Better stand up, share that peace. After the uh, service, come on over in the gym for a time of coffee and cookies and fellowship uh, together, important part of uh, sharing the journey together. Uh, take a look at those birthdays, lots of birthdays this week, um, lots of birthdays this week in the congregation, you know those folks, wish them a happy birthday, and Pam and Jack Nisley celebrated 
59 years of marriage this week. 59 years. Next year we expect a cake at 60, but congratulations to you young lovebirds. Um, thank you to everyone who served at the memorial service uh, that we had with a large a memorial service, a couple hundred people here, big reception, and our team from our ushers to our greeters to the servers in the kitchen, it was the A team out there, and we're so thankful. Uh, you know, we talk about what's the word on the street about Trinity Lutheran Church, and uh, we need to always knock it out of the park with hospitality, welcome, and love for all. And that was really on display this, this uh, Friday morning. So thank you to everyone who helped um, with that as well. Um, if, uh, I, if anybody, how many of you have been to Israel with me? How many? I don't know, a few of you? Yeah. Uh, we're going in April of 24. Uh, and uh, I do have some information on that if you want to see me after the service. But uh, we are going to have a trip to Israel right after Easter in April of 24. So you talk to me afterwards. Amy? Good morning. Good morning. So there's a, a yellow flyer on the table in the narthex. has information about our Sunday forum. That happens at 9.15 in the fireside room. This week, great timing with the sermon today. Are, they are concluding a three-week series on the Sermon on the Mount. So go in here and learn and discuss more about the Beatitudes this morning. That's down in the fireside room. And then we also have this bright pink piece of paper with all of our youth and family events that are coming up for the month of February. A lot of great things going on. A reminder, high school youth group meets every Sunday at 12 and middle school kiddos meet every Wednesday at 4. Lots of other fun things, so check that out and let me know if you have any questions. Uh, also, today is the deadline for high school students who want to go to Holden Village in May. So if you have any high schoolers that might be considering that, let me know today. Thanks. Amy, uh, hold up your left hand. Now, I, I'm going to say there may be many reasons for this and many stories that Amy might tell you, but this was not God's will. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Lots of uh, other announcements printed in your bulletin, including kind of the schedules we go into February as we move towards Ash Wednesday and uh, different events that are going on in February as well. A word about communion. All are welcome. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter how long you've been away, doesn't matter if you've never been to Lutheran church in your life, it's not a Lutheran table, it's the Lord's table, and all are welcome by the invitation of the one and only host, and that is Jesus. Uh, the ushers will help you to come down the center aisle. Uh, you'll hold out your hand to receive the host, hold on to it momentarily, then you'll dip it and tink it into the chalice of your choice. First chalice of wine, second chalice of grape juice. We also have gluten-free elements as well. But most importantly, all are welcome. We transition now to the table. We gather now at a table that welcomed our parents and grandparents, a table that will welcome Christians across the island today and across the world of a variety of denominations and a variety of colors and traditions. We come here to find our unity in the Feast of Victory of our God. As we do so, we remember then a Thursday night in an upper room in Jerusalem. It was Holy Week. It was the night in which he was betrayed. And on this night, our Lord Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. 
This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks. He gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, Jesus Christ has promised to be present with us. Let us pray now as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, gifts of God, for the people of God, all are welcome. Please come.
Now may the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you now and always in God's grace. Amen. Fed and forgiven. This is part of the equation. Fed and forgiven, now go forth from this place and be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And as you go, may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our sending him, let us talents and tongues employ.